Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com and make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. I'm joined in person, hopefully by someone who has created a witty <laughs> title for himself. This is Bradley Cox. <laughs> Husband of Mary, wife of, or not wife, husband of Mary. <laughs> I mean, this father. Is, this of, is 2020, so yeah. you can do that, right? Father of Thomas and Ella, pastor at Res Church in Greer, and excited Clemson fan for tonight's national championship Ooh. game. Ooh. And I must give. Uh, Credit to the one John Ross for helping me with my intro prior to recording. (laughs) (laughs) He gave me a little pep talk while you were in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Next week, the Right Reverend Bradley Cox. (laughs) Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. You're going to get more epic. Oh, and as you have already heard him speak, yes. uh, we are joined via the internet. This is John Bye. Ross, Westminster effects artist and ca- soon-to-be California-bound Augsburgian Christian from Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> but not permanently California-bound. No, bound. no, thank goodness. Or else, the, or else the Proposition 65 warning would give you cancer Absolutely. or something like Honestly, that. Honestly, I don't think that I don't think that either of my trucks would pass California state admissions. So uh. no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> we could just they go let you get by with things in Nebraska, <laughs> yes, there, they, don't you? Buddy? Yes, they do. Water our corn. Well, I mean, we don't even have WD-40. we don't even have emissions inspections here in South Carolina. So. Not anymore. <laughs> um, so this week, I mean, as John said, we are bound for California in a couple of days for the NAM show, and so we're going to keep this shorter than normal, kind of like last week, because there's that whole last-minute preparation thing. <laughs> um, so in lieu of church last week, uh, Bradley, we have a church basically borrowing <laughs> our space from us in the evenings. It's mm-hmm. a church at Greer Station, kind of a, you could almost say a sister church, or at least a buddy church. Um, yeah. Like, we've we've gotten kind of tight with them, and, and they're awesome people, and we've kind of helped, I've helped them with you know, the gear music side. And they prayed for Rez uh, yeah. yesterday in one of their prayers. Awesome. Which was awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so shout out to Church at Greer Station. Check them out. Just Google them, Church at Greer Station. Um, they, they're doing good stuff. And we have very, as you've noted, we have very similar DNA to them. Very similar DNA. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're happy to be partnered with them. So, uh, this is an episode dedicated entirely to the Inquisition. Um, so hey, I'm hey, just reading. Sh- Cody, r- real quick. Go ahead. Uh, since Go the Inquisition ahead. questions come from the the Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook, I just have a quick yes. uh, a quick addition for one of our members, Kyle Daly. Uh, so if we could have uh, absolute <laughs> perfect silence. Uh, <sighs> That's for you, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle is uh, my circuit board designer, so any of you dudes who need circuit boards designed, hit him up. So you're welcome for that plug, Kyle. Uh. <laughs> uh, anyway, so John Trailer, John Trailer asks, what is the process you use when a person requests to be on the worship team? 
So we, I mean, we addressed this a little bit last week in our mm-hmm. uh, dealing with yeah. terrible vocalists. Uh, John, what what does Christ Lincoln do to onboard so, members on your worship team? Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually in the process of of recruiting, uh, I suppose, uh, for for a number of positions. Um, the the general gist of it is uh, is we'll put an announcement. Uh, sorry, I don't have a pop filter. That's annoying. I'm going to get called out on that too. Gosh darn it! Um, That's why we can't have nice things yeah. like good quality audio. Yeah. Um, so we usually put an announcement up in uh, in the pre-service uh, announcements. Sometimes we'll uh, we'll ask the pastor to uh, to help with that announcement. Uh, to add a, add a, a certain uh, you know uh, urgency to it if necessary, uh, but then uh, those individuals will uh, will usually come to uh, to my cohort Josiah or I, uh, eventually our new worship arts director who is with us, and uh, the first thing is a conversation to find out you know you know what where their heart is you know what makes them want to serve. Um, you know, what sort of uh, time commitment uh, do they assume that being part of the, the worship team or, or the band requires? And then from there, uh, we, uh, we've started asking for a way that we can hear them first, unless, you know, I mentioned last week, un- unless we know already. So if, if they're singing in a, in a secular band or something, you know, can we go see a show? Or do you have any YouTube videos? Or can you record, uh, you know, a, a quick snippet of, of you uh, singing or playing along to, uh, you know, this track or whatever. And it sounds like you guys have something similar to that. And so uh, when they send that in, we'll, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll listen to it. We'll discuss it. If there are places where they can or, or where they would need to grow, uh, you know, before they join the rotation, uh we would, uh, you know, we would kind of coach them and walk with them in that way. Um, if it's something that uh, they could work on well, you know, in our midst uh, of, of the worship team, uh, we'll invite them to a rehearsal. And, uh, and for the whole rehearsal, they'll, uh, they'll stay and they'll, they'll listen and uh, see how a rehearsal works because, you know, that, that too is a time commitment and, and it's good for a prospective member to see the level of preparation and uh, an investment that's necessary for this, uh, uh, you know, for this sort of activity. And then usually after uh, the Sunday band has completed uh, running through the set list, we'll invite this prospective <coughs> member up uh, to join on their instrument or, or their voice or, or what have you, uh, and then go through a couple of songs of their choosing. And... Uh, and then after that, we'll, uh, we'll process uh, as uh, the other worship leader and myself and, and then worship arts director and occasionally pastor if there's an issue, uh, uh, whether it be a heart issue or something that would need to be addressed. And uh, yeah, and then we go from there, uh, you know, hopefully um, terminating and in, in being added to the uh, adding to the rotation. Uh, that's the that's the general kind of overview. You know, we've talked about introducing some new things that our uh, our worship arts director did in his previous congregation called a rehearsal experience, where we have them plugged into a channel of their own, where they can hear everything the band's doing through their through in ear monitors, just like we all can, except no one else can hear them. So it gives them op- an opportunity hmm. to to play along hmm. with a real band dynamic. That's a good idea. With, without 
removing a, uh, a Sunday musician from their place uh, or without running the risk of throwing off the other musicians. Now, of course, with something like drums, that doesn't exactly work because uh, <laughs> yeah. you know we're not we're not going to set up two drum kits. Well, although vocals, we, guitar, bass, y- keys. yeah, yeah. You know, although we we had an audition this past Thursday uh, for for a new drummer, and uh, uh, he asked if uh, if he could bring his own cymbals and, and snare and stuff uh, because of, of sonic preference. And uh, so we're we're still kind of bouncing around how to how to address that question. We're kind of inclined to be like, nah, but <laughs> uh, well, your you your know, board is already EQ'd for those symbols and that well, snare. Well, yeah, and I mean we remeasure the mics and you know the set is tuned. You know, so there there's things to be uh, considered there, but that's neither here nor there. So that's kind of what we do. I mean, ours is pretty similar to that. We have an online form. Uh, where it's and and usually it's it's brought up when someone's talking to you, Bradley. Of, oh yeah, I play guitar and or like a visitor. Um, but if if it's someone that's been around a while, uh, then maybe it got floated at somebody at some point, and it's like, well, sure, go fill out the form, and it's got you know stuff about their testimony, how long they've been playing, their experience, uh, and then hey, give us a video via Drive or YouTube or whatever of you doing yep. the thing. Uh, and we have specific parts for them that kind of fit with our style and kind of go from there. Uh, we have one of our, as we call ourselves, the council. And as Bradley accidentally upgraded <laughs> us that one time, the grand council. Ooh, um, fancy. That's like, a, that's like a Star Wars term or something. Yeah, right, right. 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 We, we do not grant you the rank of master. Um, I am the senate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah we have we have a guy on the council who is like his one of his main jobs is onboarding people so he'll okay, make that's the, cool he'll he'll make that phone call and set that kind of stuff up um, you know i can i can see some definite benefits of having you know kind of a a, a designated uh it's almost like a discipleship coordinator in a way but for the worship team i can see a lot of benefits that would come from something like that mm. yeah definitely uh, shall we move on? Sure. Maybe. I think so. This will be a fun one. Vaughn Scott, what is the best English translation of the Bible? I know of a certain group of believers that believe that the KJV 1611 is the best and only version uh, that's acceptable <laughs> for Christian use. Should we go to that extreme when it comes to translation of the Bible? Bradley, you want to start us off? <laughs> so is he asking, should we go to the extreme of KJV only? Yes. And no. And if not, what is the best translation or your recommended translation? The KJV is good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would never say that don't read the King James. I mean, the King James is, is you know, you, you there's, there's really, um, uh, I'll go with three different categories of Bible translations. So you've got word-for-word translations, Mm -hmm. which would include KJV, ESV, NASB, uh, and and so on. And then you've got what you would call dynamic equivalent translations. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where you would include the NIV. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe New Living. New Living's pushing that boundary. If you sort of scaled it, put it on a continuum, New Living is pushing the boundary of dynamic equivalent over into what you would call 
I, I maybe would call this the category of it's not a translation, it's a commentary. Right. Because you're mm, you're, you're yeah, really yeah, venturing yeah. away from the original text, and that's where I would put the message. Yep. And yep. the New Living is pushing that boundary. Right. And so um, I th- my preference is um, that what we read consistently and teach from consistently is word-for-word translations. And yeah. our church uses the ESV. Yep. Uh, the NASB is actually a better word-for-word translation than the ESV, but the ESV is still a word-for-word translation, and it just reads a little better than the NASB. Right. Yeah. Uh, NASB gets a little clunky sometimes. It's, it's clunky because yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't um, privilege the reader really at all. Right. Uh, dynamic equivalent translations and then commentary translations. If you that, that's just that's kind of an oxymoron, but you know what I'm saying. But yeah, those yeah, yeah. those those English Bibles. Um, privilege the reader more than the original text but esv and nasb kjv really privilege the original text and the esv i think has just done a really good job of making it readable without venturing away from word for word what did the original text say and so I, yeah, those are the translations it's a good I would go balance with. while while keeping its foothold strongly in in word for word uh, yeah but there's some methodology. things where i would say NASB did a better job than ESV um, right, right. In, in, in translating what was originally there. But I, I, I have a lot of confidence in the ESV, and mm-hmm. so I, those are the ones that I would recommend. Uh, what are your, did we talk about the CSB at all? Uh, we haven't, and honestly, I'm not very familiar with it. Uh, I haven't read it, um, uh, maybe more than just maybe picking one up and looking at it, yeah. you know, um, just it's very quickly. pretty popular recently. Yeah, you I guys, honestly you, don't know much about guys, it. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to admit, I'm at, I'm at a loss. The CSB? It's, it's probably the most arrogantly named uh, Bible translation because yeah. it's the Christian Standard Christian Bible. Standard. <laughs> so okay. this is the okay. standard for all Christians. Uh, where it's, I think it's kind, of, it's kind of towing that line between word for word and dynamic equivalent. Yeah. Um, sure. The one, I don't have a ton of experience with it either the one thing that I that I don't care for is like I just flopped it open and um, Psalm 2 was translated instead of why do the nations rage why do the Gentiles rage so there's a couple little nitpicky mm-hmm. things probably that you could get into with it but uh, the people that I know that that read it really really enjoy it it apparently flows really well yeah I, I have to plead ignorance I haven't read any reviews and I haven't Study yeah, same enough here. to know. Uh, I mean, what my my, my is. primary experience uh, is is KJV uh, and then NIV and then uh, and then ESV. So uh, the the LCMS, the the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, uh, usually adopts a uh, an official translation, and it, it used to be the NIV, and now is the ESV, and they mm-hmm. use that in when they publish a, a study Bible or when they. Um, you know, when they need to reference a translation for uh, yep. you know, a, a subtext or, or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. I ESV mean, ain't, although, it ain't perfect, but it's really, no. really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I it's mean, it's really good. KJ, KJV is, is particularly great if, uh, if, you know, you're like when you want to emphasize the, 
the haughtiness of, of a text. It can be really useful because the language is so unfamiliar and unique to us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in yeah. the concept of holiness being set apart, um, it can kind of just linguistically uh, add a bit of uh, add a bit of special flavor there. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, no, by no means should we exclude it from our gatherings and use. Uh, yeah. But from mm-hmm. from day from day to day study, you know, perhaps uh, something a bit more more modern is uh, is in the cards. Mm-hmm. Well, just w- one more thing about the, the KJV, because um, I don't I don't you know he asked the question: Should we go as far as KJV only? And I, I just want to be clear: there there in terms of the quality of translation, um, there's really not much difference at all between KJV, ESV, NASB. Any of those word for word, maybe CSB. Yeah, there, there's any a of those couple w- of uh, the the KJV only people pick on. Oh, well, they took quote unquote took verses out. Yeah, Just, uh, but that's textual critical type stuff where we discovered those weren't in there. But it's it's only a couple verses. Yeah, and some people some people advocate for KJV only because of textual criticism. Right, and others advocate for it. And th- these these people are just off the reservation that advocate for it because they. They equate that translation at the same level as the inspiration of Scripture in general, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and that is that that is just uh, uh, I, you know I'm trying to be careful with my words here, um, but that, that's just ridiculous. Um, and and to to say that you know I've actually heard a, a preacher pastor say unless someone is quoted verses from the Bible. Um, in the King James Version, when they are witnessed to, they didn't get saved. Boy, howdy. Okay, I mean, people <laughs> go people go that far with it. Right. And, um, and the guy I'm talking about actually did an inter- interview, James White. You can see it on YouTube, and that interview oh, is so hilarious. That, yeah, so, yeah, so that was Stephen Anderson. Stephen yeah. Anderson, yeah, yeah. I couldn't think of his name. Um, so that that kind of stuff is just crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like Shakespeare just as much as the next guy, but, woo, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's off the reservation. Reference. So if if, yeah. you, if you hear people advocating for King James only, then you know, the first thing you need to decide is like what what's their basis for that? If it's textual criticism stuff, I can sort of go, okay, we can have a conversation, and maybe I could help you with that. But when they start advocating for it because they, they say the King James is the only translation that is the Word of God, that's really problematic. Yeah, Be not, careful with that. Like not, not to get into the technical weeds, I know uh, like Doug Wilson is a majority text guy, mm-hmm. so, so he prefers the King James or the New King James. He won't rip on right. the ESV or NIV or what, what have you, but you know, there are certain things in the KJV that he believes should be in there. Yeah. So, and if that's your stance, then... And far be it for yeah. me to argue with Doug Wilson. I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna go toe to toe with him. But um, I, I think that's fine. If that's if 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 you've come to that place just through research and what have you, that's fine. The, the differences, the actual substantive difference, are very minimal. Very minimal. Yeah. Um, I did recommend a satirical Facebook page for uh, for Vaughn to check out called the Message Bible Onlyism. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny just go check that on facebook can i say one more thing about the message um because i i i like eugene peterson right i really like eugene peterson his his memoir called the pastor was 
really a, a blessing to me. I loved mm-hmm. reading that, and I think he's a great man, great pastor. Um, obviously not perfect, but the message is his commentary. And that's what he meant it to be. That's what he meant it to be, and, and I think we've got to be really careful yeah. using that in corporate worship yep. and in teaching settings. We, we, it really needs to come with some qualifications uh, when, we, when we bring the message in because I, I, I question whether or not we are actually reading inspired text. It's, it's, yep. it, it's not something that I think we need to put on the same level, even as the NIV. Oh, like, yeah. I, yeah. Would, oh, yeah. I would really caution people, read it devotionally, fine, understand it as Eugene's commentary, but don't yep. put it on the same level as inspired scripture. I mean, you, you treat it as any other commentary. Exactly. Like if you picked up, you know, R.C. Sproul's commentary on yeah. Romans, you know. Yeah. I've I mean, got N.T. Wright's uh, translation of the New Testament on my shelf over there. Oh, how about that? And, um, yeah, I mean, just because, but, you know, it's, it's but that's, condensed but that's also and one in the same chapter and verse order, uh, you know, does not a translation make. That's just exactly. his organization yeah, point, method, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Abby Hartley has a, I think, a pretty good question that a lot of people maybe haven't thought of and may cause a knee-jerk reaction initially to, for some. Uh, so thoughts on people needing to RSV via a ticket website for a Christmas Eve service. And I guess we could extend this to any other special event held at sure. a church uh, where I've, I've been to one for, <clears throat> for research purposes uh, that required uh, a ticket. Didn't cost anything, just a ticket. Um, I heard I have tickets for the Christmas Eve service. It starts at five. I understand that it's a popular service and lots of people attend, but something didn't sit well with me when I heard that. So thoughts on ticketed church events, uh, particularly for things like Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, I mean, Kanye did it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean clear. If, Kanye did it, if so we're, we're good. Yeah, I mean, if if we're setting normative standards here, um, you know, I think it's not so much. Okay, yes, come one, come all. Um, but at a certain point, a, a room will be at fire code capacity, and people will have to be turned away. That's just, I mean. It's right. it's it's the it's the law. It's safe. It's reasonable. Um, so you know, having some sort of of admit one ticket, you know, has has some uh, has some sense there. I think the main sort of tension that I get now, I'm not saying that it's a terrible thing, but the main sort of tension that I get is we associate tickets with entertainment. Or we associate tickets with uh, having to pay, or mm. or having yeah. to 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 earn, or or to to buy our way into. All mm. of those things are a stark opposite, or at least for Pete's sake, they should be, of of what we know to be, uh, you know, regarding the family of God. And and so I think that's where the uh, the initial tension comes from is is because. Uh, 
you know, I, I shouldn't have to pay to go to church. I shouldn't have to wait in line to go to church. I'm not going there to be entertained. Um, and all of those things are something we directly associate with tickets. And also, literally everybody on the face of the planet hates Ticketmaster. And so there's some, like, <laughs> tension there, too. Um, StubHub, not so much. I, I no, can, no. I get on board with StubHub. But I think in general... If you you know if there's a congregation who understands that you know we're already at two services you know we our parking lot can only hold so many our space can only hold so many we you know, we know that parking lot feel <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean perhaps perhaps that's something to explore but I I, I think. Uh, I mean, and I don't intend this to be a cop out uh, by by any means, but I really do think that if it's something that um, your congregation itself, you know, not visitors, but the the flock that that you are entrusted in, in to to care for and shepherd, would not have a problem with that, hmm. if they'd be, oh yeah, cool, or if everybody is part of the congregation, just gets a ticket or, or something to take care of that family of faith first um, to ensure that that there's a space for them and then that uh, that their that their guests or, or whatever would be first come first serve um, I mean not not to take this into memory either but uh, we can take anything solu- into memory yeah modern <laughs> problems require modern solutions <laughs> and I mean, Either it's tickets, or you say, "Okay, we're going to we're going to lease you know the the concert arena venue for Christmas Eve services." We've talked about that doing that here for Easter. Um, one of uh, one of the sister LCMS congregations in Omaha, they uh, they rent the well, it used to be called like the Century Lake Center, but Metro PCS Center. I don't know. It's just one of the, one of those big like. Monster Jam basketball Garth Brooks arenas in Omaha, and they do their their Easter service there, and we've considered doing it here too. So it's it either comes and, and that comes with a, a immense cost, not only of time but also of financial resources as well. Yeah. So either if if you have a lot of people, if your congregation is is blessed by droves of people wanting to attend this service, uh, to receive you know the the gifts of God. In word and uh, depending on who you are, sacrament, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, what I mean, no, I mean. Um, then praise be to God that you have that problem, first off. Second, you either, if you have the wherewithal to do a, a big arena, awesome. Otherwise, tickets may not be a bad thing, but I would encourage you to call them invitations <laughs> just because there's, there's, the a certain, yeah. th- there's a certain association with, with the ticket side of things. Yeah, there was, uh, James White did a two-night thing uh, where he, instead of uh, doing a debate with this Muslim imam, he, he did dialogues uh, where, where oh, yeah. this, this imam was like, I, I don't stand a chance with debating. That's not my thing, but we can totally have conversations. So they did one night where James White was asking this Muslim questions about his faith at, at a, it was like a Southern Baptist church. I think it was in Tennessee. Sure. And then the next night they went to the, the mosque and the Muslim was asking James White <laughs> questions about Christianity. So, I mean, mm-hmm. good, good opportunity yeah, to start conversations. Because to be stuff. fair, if James White invited anybody and used the word debate, nope. 
right. Not, right. Nope. Nope. No. <laughs> right. So, uh, but one of the things that happened was they, they did have tickets so they could prepare for how many people would show up. And, and so there wouldn't be just people just barging through, you know, like your, sure. you know, your hyper uh, discernment type of guys. Uh, but there were still people trying to say that it was a paid event because yeah. the tickets were involved. So that might be something you run into. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, John makes a really good point about the association with tickets and right. everything from money making to class divisions, first class, second class tickets, third class tickets. I mean, there's right. all kinds of connotations there. Um, I just think, you know, it, there's pragmatic reasons to ticket an event because buildings have capacity as do parking lots. Um, and I think the heart of the church should be, let's, let's make ourselves as available as we can. Um, you know, Jesus, I mean, we'll, we'll go with some biblical roots here. Jesus, when the crowds were growing large, he got a boat pushed out into the water and used the water as amplification. Yeah. 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 Right. So he, he was very, very, he, he made every natural effort he could to accommodate as many people as possible, yep. right? And then at the same time, uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, when he's in Capernaum, uh, preaches in the synagogue, some miracles are performed. He spends all night ministering to people, healing people, delivering people. He wakes up early the next day, prays, and Peter comes to him and says, hey, everybody's waiting on you. They're all lined up for another meeting. And he's like, nope, we're going to the next town. It's yep. time to move on. You know, so there, there, there was a mission there, and so Jesus is not afraid to, um, to, to move forward, and he accommodates, and then he also is about the mission and realizes that you know he limited himself to hu- you know, being human, and he, he, in his incarnation, he was not able to be in seventeen different places at right. one time. Right. It's time to move on. So right. that whole subtraction by addition. Exactly, <laughs> subtraction by addition. So um, anyway, that that's just to maybe to help that person think about it well, uh, without letting those associations and connotations yeah. um, get you all tied up yeah. in knots. Welcome to the closed cover before striking school of heaven machinistry and ministry tonight. Won't you please turn in your hymnals to page 333? Sister Mildred, we're going to play free at last, free at last. Thank God. So Brian Morris just literally just submitted this question. I thought we weren't going to have a Brian Morris question. Um, Is there an easy way to make the change from hymnals to using a projector? Uh, This is actually something that my church growing up did uh we still had the hymnals uh but it was really interesting uh being in in the church of christ where you know it's all acapella so you need to know what 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 note to sing Mm -hmm. and the church of christ is one of the very few groups anymore that still uses shape notes so we actually had on the projector uh i was just bars and shape notes that's Awesome! Yeah, so I've heard of that. Yeah, so that was that was pretty interesting. I I really hope it would have the bouncing ball underneath of it. The lyrics, yeah, like they do in like karaoke. Yeah, yeah, but uh, (laughs) that's great. But the you know the congregation had kind of been prepared for that uh, over the years, where uh, you know a lot of Sunday evening services, you know, 
just, ah, oh, don't worry about the, the hymnals. We'll just use the, the, and that was the overhead projector with, um, with the, with the transparency. Transparencies, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they had been kind of prepared that way for a while. And then we kind of, we, it was kind of a slower transition from what I remember, uh, to where eventually it went to all on, uh, all via PowerPoint. And, uh, and our, our, uh, our preacher back then, and I think he still uses just gobs and gobs of PowerPoint uh, for for his sermons, uh, and may or may not also include uh, too many animations. <laughs> <on the words. laughs> but but they're thorough. So I mean, kudos yeah. to him for for that. Um, any how did how did you fellers handle any of this kind of thing? If you did, well, um, so. In in my experience, what I've seen, I mean, because you know, churches of the you know within the Lutheran tradition are are often very liturgically based, and when I say that, I mean written liturgy based, right. um, you know, where where the services have a uh, um, a, a, a very heavy call and response feel, and, and certain canticles that are chosen, which are just you know kind of fancy songs, to to go along with the order of service. And uh, the and, and of course in, in 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 Lutheran churches, I mean, those of the traditional tr- uh, side of things um, are often organ or piano led. Uh, so while sheet music is important, it's not as as necessary. Uh, but one thing I've seen useful is if they're looking to make the transition, especially if perhaps a new hymnal has just come out. Uh, and they don't necessarily want to upgrade to it or make that investment uh, to move towards a printed a printed order of service containing that information first. So you get a change of medium, so to speak. So you go from the the, the <coughs> hymnal, and then you go to essentially your bulletin that also has the order of service in it, and then from there it's not that drastic of a departure to then go to uh, uh, go to something you know projected. Um, I, I guess it's difficult to, to answer this on a obje- kind of objective uh, viewpoint uh, because every congregation is going to respond differently and have different expectations and different needs, frankly. Um, so it sounds like this... So and, and also, are we talking about going from uh, hymnal and hymnal, like hymnody, uh, to use the proper word, uh, to praise and worship choruses using a projector because because that's a much larger switch than it is from taking uh, abide with me out of print and throwing it up on a screen, um, you know. But a lot of unknowns there. But in general, you know, sometimes a, a an intermediary sort of switch to something like a bulletin could be helpful. Other times is slowly introducing those songs that are more familiar, those hymns that are more familiar to the congregation. Um, and say, you know, we're going to put this on on the screen for this week. You know, we yeah. all know the melody, and and go from there, and introduce it as sort of a convenience factor for the congregation. You know, rather than turning your hymnals to page three hundred and sixty-five and hope, and you know, and and hope your little bookmark didn't fall out that you put there during offering when you should have been paying attention to the soloist and and uh, the pages <laughs> didn't get stuck together because someone's kid had a sucker that they put inside of the hymnal. And, um, but you know, it's it, it it's right there for you. And, yeah. uh, but 
you know, also there's there's those people who see a projection screen in in a sanctuary, which is uh, the term for the worship space that you would usually use, you know, when using a hymnal. And there are certain people that think that projection screens have no place in there. And if you're switching from hymnal to something modern and techy like a screen, uh, I think there will be some some hard issues to deal with there as well. Um, as far as a boom, here's your answer, I unfortunately don't have it. But hopefully there's some ideas there that can, can help you navigate those waters. Bradley, you kind of cut your teeth in the middle of the worship wars. How did you uh, how did you navigate any of any of that kind of thing? Well, I mean, with you know screens versus hymnals in particular, when I was cutting my teeth, the technology was not developed yet. Really, right. I mean, you you could put an overhead projector up there with transparencies and have this person awkwardly standing on the stage switching things out um, while you're singing. <laughs> Um, and so the first church I worked in, we didn't want to go that route. And so we did what John suggested really because that's the only option we had, you know, back in 1999, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you, there were projectors obviously, and you could use things like PowerPoint and whatever, but it was just wonky, yeah. uh, you know, pro presenter and the like didn't exist yet and yeah so we just went with printed bulletins because there were songs that we wanted to sing that weren't in the hymnal right and everybody yep. pretty much wanted agreed that we want to sing these songs but they're not in the hymnal so let's just let's we just gradually moved towards more and more printed lyrics and what have you in the bulletin and people started using those more and more and over time just you know got used to not picking yeah. up the hymn book and I think right before I left that church, we got our first screen and projector and we had it on the stage and we used it for some of the songs and we did mm -hmm. PowerPoint. Uh, we were ju just starting to do that back then. Mm -hmm. um, but as with anything, if, if, <clears throat> if, you're, if you're killing sacred cows, so to speak, like if the hymn book is a sacred cow in the church and uh, that's maybe a, a harsh way to talk about it, but you you just got to you, you got to deal with the hard issues. You got to talk about why 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 do you want to move from hymn books to a screen? Um, what what's the point yeah. of that? Is it are you trying to become a modern church? If so, you got to communicate the vision of what you're doing to yeah, the church. It's, it's an all, it's a it's a put all your chips in sort of game. It's not you know when when you make such a drastic change and it has to be in response to the needs of God's people. I mean it's it's because you don't have. That I mean here's one thing I would say. I, again, I don't know what's going on in Brian's church, and you know we don't use hymn books at res, and mm -hmm. we have no intention of going back to them. Right. But you don't have to make that switch. That mm -hmm. that's to to me where we are in in the church world today. You can have a really great church using hymn books, really great worship Absolutely. experience yeah. using hymn books, and there's not this generational tug of war, uh, modern versus traditional kind of. Uh, pull back and forth any, anymore, I don't think. I mean, I think, I think I could start a church and fill it with millennials using hymn books. Yeah, yeah. probably. I, I really do. And so I would ask Brian, like, you know, be sure you're clear about why you want to make that switch. Don't do it because it's cool to have a screen and it's uncool to have hymn books. Why do you want to make that switch? You know, I talked with my father-in-law about this not that long ago. And my father-in-law, seventy couple, but we—he was just talking to me about how the loss of hymn books 
has really translated into a loss of people knowing how to sing congregationally. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it, yep. it's really cool to open the hymn book, and if you're in a room f with people and, and there is at least a smattering of people that know how to sight-read music and to hear the harmony and the voices, the, the whole church becomes one big choir. And I think that's really cool. I keep mine on my bookshelf, you know? Yeah. Like, I've got a stack of hymnals up. I collect them um, because they're awesome. They uh, are. You know, it's... Mm -hmm. And it, it's 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 tangibility too, is that I mean it's not not scripture. It's not like holding scripture in your hands. No. But but holding holding this work is is something that is uh, there's there's a certain realness about it mm -hmm. uh, that that in in our very transient culture nowadays I think has some some benefit. Uh, I remember in in some churches in my childhood. Uh, you know, you mentioned because there were some songs you wanted to do that weren't in the hymnal. Uh, so we had, when I was growing up, we had Lutheran worship, which was the blue one that came out in like 1984. We had the Lutheran hymnal, which came out in the 40s. Um, so we had both of those. We had the hymnal supplement from 1998. Um, so that we had three. Uh, and then we had All God's People Sing, uh, which had some of the more modern praise choruses in it. Um, and uh, and then we had the big like green Maranatha book and all of those like <laughs> I remember that the, book? We, oh man, I remember. Yep, we had we had the hymn, we had the hymnals and the Bibles in the back of the pew and there was a stack next to the armrests on the other side of the pew of all these other books. <laughs> and like I remember back when I was a student at Concordia University in Seward, we had chapel every morning and and I was the president of the student worship committee. So you, I, you I know tell you. I was uh, yeah. It was in there. We we would hand out hymnals um, in the morning when people would come. We we would hand them out. Well, sometimes we would have a song. We would have three hymns in the morning, and they would all be from a different text. And uh, <laughs> and so we'd hand them a, a, a Lutheran worship. We'd hand them a hymnal supplement, and then all God's people sing. And we're giving these people more books than they had to buy for their college <laughs> courses just to get through a twenty-five minutes, you know, chapel that. service. You know, in in. Uh, Every week we have uh, a senior adult Bible study on Thursdays mm -hmm. at two o'clock, and I don't teach it every week. Um, but you know, if I'm not preaching on Sunday, um, I'll go over there and teach. Um, and it's so fun. I mean, it, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting older, but I enjoy it. I really enjoy it that we have a, a stack of hymnals in the student center, yep. which is where they meet. Um, that when Every time they get together, they will bring out those hymnals. Yeah. And there's an old lady that comes to the Bible study who plays the piano. And she'll get on the piano in the student center and we'll crack open the hymnal. And before we study God's word, we'll sing two or three hymns. And I love and it. And they belt it oh, out, yeah. don't they? Oh, I man, bet they, they belt they it out. They sing yeah. and they yeah. sing. And they'll break out in harmony. And sometimes it sounds good, sometimes it doesn't. But we're holding the hymn books. <laughs> And we're singing, and I remember, John, one of the first episodes we did, you said something that really stood out to me, is you encouraged uh, all of us, if, you know, get the hymn book out and read the lyrics before you worship. Yeah. Just read them. Don't sing it. Just read them. Um, there's something about holding it. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of get a, a real bible a hard copy bible and hold it and read it not because there's yeah. something sacred about that in and of itself but i do think 
uh, our brains respond in different ways to different stimuli. And yeah. holding I mean, something... It's something tangible. That's right. Having something tangible, yeah. holding it. Um, I think there's a different element of learning uh, and responding and interacting with what it is you're singing that happens when you hold a hymn book. And that doesn't happen necessarily when it's on the screen. They're very... Lots and lots of reasons, pragmatically, why having lyrics on a screen is good, um, and, sure. and ev even even enhances worship. I think I could make a case on a couple of points why that might enhance worship. Eyes are up, not down. Yep. Right. We're we're there's perhaps a greater sense of um, we're singing together, and there and you you're yep. visually able to take in the congregational yep, setting yep. more when you're looking up as opposed to down at a book. But at the same time, um, this, this choir element, like I miss the days of choir where it just, it, there was such a sense of yeah. we're all singing together and, and that what's represented on the stage is a, a microcosm of our church as a whole. Mm. And, and I, I think hymnals could play a role in the modern church. Um, if we thought well about it and there was, Again, a really good why behind using them as much Absolutely. as as much as there would be with the screen. Yeah. So, John, you you brought up a a great point about the transience of of the culture. Yeah. Where where you know we play you know so often we'll play a song three or four times a year and then it's gone in two years and we never play it again. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I had a song pop in my head that I grew up in church with, and I hadn't heard that song in at least ten years, yeah. and hadn't thought about it. And it, all of a sudden, it pops in my head, and I and I remember every word. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there's, we, there's something about having these songs that actually stick around. You know, there there are YouTube videos out there and, and news specials and and whatever that you know have have gone to the bedside of a of an Alzheimer's patient. And yeah, yeah, they start singing, mm -hmm. you know, some of these great hymns of the church, yep. you know, what a friend we have in Jesus, uh, you know, amazing grace, what, what have you. And they can't remember their own name, where they were or who they've been married to for the last 50 years. But then their, their voice cracks open yep. and, uh, you know, and, and just, and, and, and belts it. Uh, well, as best they can. I, I would like to think that their soul is trying to leap out of their, uh, you know, of their aged vocal cords and, and yeah, just try yeah. to belt it out. And and so that just makes me wonder, um, I mean, will we have Alzheimer's patients in the next 50 years who will be belting out alive by mm. Hillsong Young and Free? That's, you know, that's a good I don't question. Know. Mm. It's, a, it's a great song. It's a great song, as there are many great songs. But when someone says the phrase songs of the church or hymns of the church, are we really thinking Hillsong? Are we really thinking, you know, Elevation? Not that, I mean, that's what we play. You know, that, that, that's what we do every Sunday is, you know, that Citizens and Saints, Matt Marr, Chris Tomlin, you know, what have you. But when we say the words, Songs of the church. I don't really know if it's that stuff that comes to mind. And and that's not to argue that what is contained in a hymnal uh, because of its legacy or, or whatever is, is more uh, sacred or better or more important or 
or anything right. than modern praise choruses. <clears throat> but there is something about the history of the church and yeah. singing together these hymns that r- r- relatively are, are common throughout all of Western Christianity, um, that no matter where you are, they, they you know, it's like a Christmas carol, mm. right? Um, I was, uh, I, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole, uh, last week of, uh, uh, carpool karaoke. Uh, I, I don't watch <laughs> yeah. late night TV, but, um, but James Corden's pretty cool. And there was one joy to the world and all these different celebrities singing, singing joy, joy to the, the world. world. The Lord has come. The Lord has come. And I'm like, cause that's not just a Christmas song. No. Right. That's a song that, that is a song of the church. That's right. That has that has leached out into the world to play, you know, and 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 just started to grab at those who may be far off. And you know, John, and yeah, one one of the one of the unintended consequences or casualties, I should say, of, of what I call the worship wars. And if people don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about in the '90s and early 2000s, where there was just this yep. big fight over traditional versus contemporary, and um, you started having churches doing labeling their services, modern, contemporary, traditional, blended, all this kind of stuff. Oh, blended. Yeah. <laughs> One of the unintended casualties is what you're talking about, Cody, mm-hmm. is that the thought, and I was on the contemporary side of the battle at that time. The thought was all these old people have all these emotional attachments and historical attachments to these old songs and we need to sh- we need to smash that. Yeah. We need to we need to squash that and bring all this modern music in because that's what's going to revive and refresh and re-energize the church. Your emotional attachments to these songs are hindering the church. Mm. And I think that was terrible terrible thinking on our part. I'll yep. say our part because I was on that side of the battle and I was arguing for doing away with those, you know, those kinds of songs and bringing in, ushering in all this new music that was being written. And I think that was, that was just a terrible casualty um, of the worship wars. And, and, you know, I think that having, having some deep rooted emotional um, memories and, feelings to great songs of the church is is a good thing it's not a bad thing um so right. i yeah i i agree that that's sad to me yeah. that's sad to me when we we sing we sung great is thy faithfulness yesterday yep mm. oh and it was yeah, just yes. so good it was just so good and i think you're, better you're <laughs> i think i think better <laughs> than the most modern song we sang yesterday right um because yeah. The church it just I mean, engages. Oh wait, you also played with us, so you can also say you're welcome. Yes. <laughs> I mean <laughs> exactly shoot. Right. Case in point, uh it is well with my soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we played and we it, played you know. we played Mighty Cross as well, which is one of our favorites yep. around here, one of the newer favorites. Mm-hmm. Glorious Day, like really good Christocentric songs. Yeah. And because uh, there's a certain amount of transcendence, I think. I think it's transience versus transcendence. If mm. we're really to to put a book title on this thing, mm. is there's a certain thing with the with some of the older stuff that gives that sense of the same idea as confessing the Apostles' Creed together. 
Mm. You know, we are one body, many parts. So it is with Christ. Well, and I, I could go on this all day. Like I just keep oh, having sure. thoughts, but <laughs> you know, one thing I would say, I think there's a lot of great music being written by people who are biblically sound, yep. love the scripture. I think there's a lot of that's coming out, but I think, absolutely, I yep. think we would, wouldn't we have to admit guys that biblical Ill illiteracy is, is a problem that has grown in yep. the church over yeah. the years. Yep. And yeah. we've got people that we question, not only the teaching that they're under, but the their own commitment to the discipline of reading and understanding and studying scripture, writing a lot of these modern songs, putting church cliches together and setting it to cool music, and they become very popular yep. in the church world, yep. as opposed to somebody like Martin Luther, Writing a song, right? <laughs> Sorry. Writing songs Sorry. for the church, a mighty fortress is our God. One of the greatest mm -hmm. biblical minds of all time. Yep. Writing songs, a I, bulwark I, never failing, a shelter. He admits the flood of mortal ills prevailing. I know I'm oh. tossing John softballs here, but <laughs> this is just stop. When you say when you say John, there are certain songs that. Would you like me to sing it in German? <laughs> <laughs> when you say there are certain songs that transcend, I, I agree with you, right? They don't transcend in the same way that you know, inspired scripture does, but. For, for somebody like Martin Luther to write a song for the church versus your, you know, modern day, um, biblically shallow author of music, which I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, that sounds harsh. I'm not saying that all songwriters today are that. It's but just that's, that's the thing right now. It's, that's the overwhelming consensus. Yeah. I mean, you can take the one, four, five, and six minor and come up with a cool melody <laughs> and and put some cliches together that get thrown around in the church, you know, a lot. And you could have a song that becomes very popular. Yeah. And it might be a great song and it might be a good song for your church to sing. Yep. But don't throw out the the songs of the church that have been written by some of, you know, the forefathers yep. of, you know, church history in one sense, you know, like people Don't like throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. Just you be know? careful with I that. Mean, yeah. I mean, you can, you can drum sets and electric guitars and everything just like all of us do. Mm. Uh, but uh, there's something to be said for the old stuff. Yeah. A guy like what's his name that wrote it as well penning those words in the darkest moment of his life uh, right. when his family was, I mean, that, that there's depth in a song like that, that we need yep. to, we need to, we need to bring it along with us in our worship journey. Yes. Yes. We went longer than we intended. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> we had a good conversation. When you first brought that question up, I didn't think it was going to go this long. But I didn't just, either. Uh, I didn't either. Good question, Brian. Very, very good question. So follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and leave a five-star review. Support the show at anchor.fm where you can donate money help us improve. Pledge to donate $10 a month for a year, and you can get your choice of a Piper Drive version 2 or a Wicklifuzz. Next week's episode <laughs> Next week's episode will be uh, heavily NAM-related and probably recorded on-site. 
So yes, it will. So also, stay tuned for keep that. an eye out on the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook, as well as the Westminster Effects Facebook page for uh, real time uh, posts and content from the floor at uh, the Winter Nam Show in Anaheim, California. You should, you should leave them with Tiger Rag. Clemson's version. Clemson's the real version. Like go go get. We go. we do guarantee that <laughs> the Tigers from Death Valley will win tonight. <laughs> go Tigers! <laughs> not not not. Ed Orgeron just sounds like Cookie Monster. I'm sorry. He does. He sounds like a Cajun Cookie Monster. Anyway. Well, I'm officially out of my element. <laughs> we'll yeah. see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs>